Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Footnotes and Fairy Tales with me, Damien Fox, in what is the last episode of the series. My guest today is entrepreneurial, creative, and innovative. He is the co-founder of Two Stacks Irish Whiskey, the co-founder of Cologne Distillery, and the co-founder of Ireland Craft Beverages. I'm delighted to introduce to you today Mr. Liam Brogan. Hi Liam, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me today. No worries, Damien. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, not to put too much pressure on you, but uh, this is the last in the series, and it's effectively our Christmas special, so uh, <laughs> the pressure's on you to deliver. Um, as I said in my introduction, I understand, and having read it from your Facebook page, you're the co-founder of Two Stacks Whiskey, yeah. you're the co-founder co of Cologne Distillery, and the co-founder of Irish Craft Beverages, or yeah. Ireland's Craft Beverages. Um, that's obviously where you are now, but talk to me about how you got to that point. Yeah, well, I guess uh, it leads into, I suppose, the two businesses later on, but um, I grew up in Helltown, County Down, not too far from Uri, and um, I went to school with Shane and Brendan, who are my business partners. So went to St. Patrick's Primary in Hilltown first, and then St. Coleman's College in Uri. Uh, before that, uh, or after that, we went to Queen's University in Belfast and did a degree in finance. And uh, after that degree, I worked in chartered accountancy in Belfast and I became a chartered accountant. And I guess as soon as I finished that, I kind of had a desire to move on and get into like a business startup. So myself and Shane McCarthy, also from that time, went to St. Patrick's, went to St. Coleman's. Went to Queens and did finance in the same class. Uh, we started Ireland Craft Beverages, which <clears throat> I suppose going nine years now, but the concept of that company was to bring a true taste of Ireland uh, around the world. So uh, she at the time was living in New York. I was just finishing up my chartered accountancy exams and whatnot. And um, <clears throat> we kind of want, had the idea of bringing craft beer and, and spirits from Ireland to places like New York where he was based and um, didn't really know what exactly we were doing but we said we, we met up for pints in Laurie's pub in Hilltown on, on St Stephen's Day one Christmas and again like, yeah, let's just let's just go ahead and do this so set up the company a day or two later and figured it out from there um, so initially we started off we met some of the craft breweries in Ireland it was kind of it seemed an easier step into it than going for whiskey because there only was a few distilleries in Ireland at the time, uh, only a few new, new ones starting out. So with the craft breweries, we um, chatted to a few of those guys and set out to export their offering. Uh, so initially the markets were like London and Paris and uh, that grew into a few European destinations, parts of the Middle East and, and the US as well. Uh, so over over the years, we kind of uh, worked with brands as, I guess, a distributor, export focused, and um, yeah, we got into like twenty different countries and were supplying this consolidated portfolio. And sort of along the journey, then our other friend Brendan Cardi, the co-founder of Cologne Distillery, he he was a chartered architect and he was living in Australia at the time. He kind of through our sort of whiskey clubs and uh, seeing some real cool distilleries down in Tasmania, he had a desire to move back to Ireland and start his own distillery. So myself and Shane were, I guess, that's a brilliant idea. Um, 
we'll definitely get on board with you and, and help you with that startup as well. So that's going back about you know five and a half years ago, and there's probably a, a year in the planning of finding a location um, and getting the, the project off the ground. So it was brilliant, and around the same time, there was there was a lot of new distilleries starting. Um, I think Cologne was around the twenty fifth new distillery in Ireland, and like at today's date, there's about fifty. So um, a lot has happened in the space over the this last nine years, and um, we kind of uh, you know focused in on the whiskey. We kind of fell in love with it, I suppose, along the way. You know. Craft room is great, and we still, you know, enjoy our craft beers and work with some of the breweries. But through the Cologne project and then leaving Two Stacks, we really focus in on the, the whiskey space. And Two Stacks is about three years old as a brand now. It, uh, I guess, with COVID and whatnot, lockdowns coming in. And like at the time, the first lockdowns happened about three or four days before St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. 2020 and we had like 600 kegs of beer sitting in london about to do a few events and this that and um we had to destroy all that beer and do a big long process of reclaiming duty on it and stuff and we're like you know this beer game's quite tough but we have this idea for a an independent bottling brand two stacks and we also had the idea of of doing the drum and a can this little product here which uh kind of the first people to put straight whiskey in a can. So uh, we kind of put all our eggs into that basket and, and launched Two Stacks. Initially it was Belfast Whiskey Week and then uh, a launch into the US market. So yeah, it's coming up two and a half, three years now of Two Stacks and it's it's gone from strength to strength as well as alone continuing. I think it's, it, it's fair to say it, um, your, your goals right off the bat were were lofty. Uh, it wasn't that you'd decided to perhaps start out small and, and focus on a local market. You, you more or less immediately decided we want to export sort of to, yeah. to, more, to more global. Um, I mean, what do you what do you put that down to? I mean, I would imagine that night sitting in a, a bar in Hilltown having pints probably gave you a little more confidence than perhaps you ordinarily would have had, but. Um, I mean, are you inherently just an ambitious person? Is that is that part of your makeup? I would say so. You know, um, I guess so. I was working in the chartered accountancy game for about seven years, and um, I suppose Shane and Brendan, you know, they had Brendan was in Australia. Shane had been working and living in Australia and New Zealand and different parts of the US, and I kind of felt maybe personally, you know maybe I should have traveled, you know, and maybe I should have went and done the overseas thing. And, but kind of the accountancy kept me at home in, in Belfast. So I guess I did have an ambition to, uh, you know, see the world a bit and uh, get out there. So we kind of, you know, saw that the Northern Irish market and even the Republic of Ireland market, you know, it, it is, there's limitations to just working within your native market. And you, you can't, it is important to be strong there especially as a brand, you know, to have a good presence in your home market. But for us, it was, you know, let's go bring this around the world, you know, and there's no real limitation on what areas we'll try and bring it to. It's sort of the world's your oyster type thing. Let's uh, explore all options and 
get it out there. So it's sort of. I mean, it's it, it's clear to be seen that at least two of the three of you come from perhaps a finance background, and mm. the, uh, yes, there's a lot to be said for that with respect to business and a business plan. But to to export to a global market, I mean, there's perhaps a blueprint, yes, in, in some respect, because there's probably a, a, an established industry already. But for, for you guys, like, how did you find find your way? Like, what were those initial steps? And, and was, was there any point that perhaps that you were deterred and thought, you know, this is maybe a little bit more difficult than we had, we had imagined? Um, I guess there's maybe just a little, little bit of naivety when you start out, you know, that didn't really have any, uh, anything holding us back. It was just kind of, yeah, let's, let's go for it and see what happens sort of thing. So it was that, that sort of accountancy background and um, Shane's finance sort of background. It, it does sort of help, like I guess with any business, the numbers are quite important, but we used our contacts really to get it off the ground. So initially with Iron Craft Beverages, we, I had a few connections with guys I've worked with and um, we raised a little bit of seed capital you know, and there was a tax incentive for that. So that kind of led us to getting some investment to get it off the ground. And that was kind of, okay, that means that I can go full time here. We've got a little bit of investment. We're going to put that into buying stock and uh, other bits and pieces we need. But there's a little bit of uh, safety there that at least I can pay myself for six months or so. And sure, if it doesn't work, uh, we can go back into accountancy or whatever. So. That's kind of what happened, and as soon as we, I guess we weren't experts in sales as such, but we just kind of went out there and put our, put it together that we were showcasing the product. You know, it was about that concept of a real true taste of Ireland. You know, Guinness and Bailey's and uh, Jameson are the kind of three well-known brands, but it's kind of the messaging around it or the authenticity is it's kind of dialed back a bit, you know, it, there's, there's so much more happening here. So let's, uh, let's try and do that. So we kind of focused on the, like, something like craft beer, you know, it's, it's about focusing on the, the geekery of it, you know, or kind of into it. So, um, it was just sort of fine, doing through our own research and then developing sort of relationships kind of with Invest Northern Ireland and, uh, 4B and a, a few other, bodies like that that can help you sort of get out there but a lot of it was off our own back just sort of reaching out to importers and, and finding avenues where this can work uh, with retailers and distributors so um we didn't really have any fear of doing it it was kind of if it fails it fails but you know we'll give it a go and um after sort of the first six months we actually started already pivoting or changing the, the business model you know as um we initially were targeting bars and off licenses and in the likes of london kind of being a home market uh you could do that and even into paris like into a few bars and that but as you look further and further overseas it's really it's an importer you need to work with um that they have their con contacts you know there could be distributors beneath them and then retailers beneath them so it's kind of a, it starts looking a bit complex but in order to you know increase the volume and uh make things happen where it's not just like delivering cases to bars and off licenses it's like ship full pallets or moving towards shipping full containers of product 
So it was kind of a big learning curve in the first six to 12 months. And I think, thankfully, we did that quickly enough where we saw that, you know, in order to grow a business, you're going to have to uh, hit a certain level of volume where it starts becoming viable. So uh, I think I was the sort of employee number one and full time from the get go. But uh, we then hired Donald McGlynn, who is was living in New York with Shane at the time, and he had moved to London. So he became our full, first sort of full-time salesperson. And then shortly after, a few months later, Shane had moved from New York to London as well. And uh, within a short period of time, he was able to go full-time as well. And that was kind of just whatever sort of uh, profits we were making, we were recycling them straight away into uh, getting the three of us established in the, in the business and then bringing it forward. But you're always kind of analyzing it going what works what doesn't what changes we have to make and let's do that fast and uh you know the, the business model evolved into us doing like contract brewing and white label projects for the likes of marks and spencers in the uk and did a few beers for some airlines and um all that type of stuff but it, it was almost like now the position where i'm at two stacks it was, it was like five or six years of learning of like how to do things and then really now we've got our, our own brand about we can take all those past learnings and and then not make as many mistakes now and move forward in a kind of a more focused direction where we kind of know what we're doing with five years of export under our belt so um that's how we've been able to bring two stacks and clone to global markets as well with um just that experience we had but i'd say it was almost just five years of making mistakes and seeing what not to do but then uh, been able to form a proper business now. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I've, I have two questions. Um, it, I mean, it's one thing to have the, the, the business idea, and, and you know, if you're creative enough, you can generate the branding. But to, to deliver on a good quality product, I mean, what was your point of reference, sir? I mean, I'm sure that yourself and perhaps your, your two partners, you've not manufactured whiskey as it relates to you know two stacks, but so what's your point of reference or, or where do you garner support or expertise in order to ensure that the product that you're manufacturing is of an industry standard or better yeah well i guess um the team the team we have like so uh, myself she and donald and then brendan from cologne so brendan being an architect we kind of see him as he's like an artist as such like you know and the same goes into the whiskey so cologne distillery is all about small batch a uh, single pot still whiskey and it's it's actually a single pot still whiskey that is more closer to a style that was made in the heyday of Irish whiskey in, in the 1800s through the early 1900s before the industry collapsed you know several reasons prohibition world war one and two trade wars with british empire that type of thing um other reasons but uh pot still whiskey at the time was made of a broad mash bill mixed mash bills of uh malted barley unmalted barley oats dry and wheat and the, these uh whiskies are just have incredible flavor so once we started going down that rabbit hole of uh understanding you know how good irish whiskey is and how it's different from the rest of the world we i'd say we aren't really following a blueprint of say like scotch or you know, even American whiskey or anything they got, it's, it's really looking back at the heritage of Irish whiskey, seeing why it was so good and, and then trying to recreate that. So 
there's challenges to that because I guess Irish whiskey is a protected, uh, which is great. It's got a GI, a geographical indexation, but the technical file that supports that is a modern sort of creation and it only allows for about 5% other grains or 5% other grains in a pot still whiskey. Whereas previously from research from the likes of Fanon O'Connor, he's a, an Irish whiskey historic, historian. He has shown that the, it used to be far broader. It was a 30% other grains was about the norm. That's a votes round wheat. Um, so really like Cologne has been making a style of whiskey that we would see as truly um, pot still Irish whiskey, but it's, tech, it's technically doesn't fall within the legal parameters. So we can't call it that. So in this sort of like whiskey has to be in a bar for at least three years before it becomes whiskey. So in the period of Cologne making whiskey this past, well, it's, it's four, four and a half years now. Um, we've also had to lobby and create, uh, well, we, we created a group called the Irish Whiskey Guild, um, which lobbied to get the technical file changed and go to European Parliament and have that amendment made that the, to change the 5% rule to the 30% rule of mixed mash bill. But coming back to it, it's, it's really about, you know, authenticity, um, what really is Irish whiskey and with two stacks you're right like it we are an independent bottler we're also a, a bonder and blender so we have a, a bonded warehouse here in Uri on the Chancellor's Road and what two stacks does is we acquire whiskey from various distilleries you know um, we probably worked with let's say 12 or so out of the, the 50 new distilleries um, and we we would select our whiskey based on what type of whiskey we like to drink you know it's all sort of flavor driven what is the the, the best styles you've got single grain is a category of Irish whiskey which is unique to Ireland as well in, in the way we make it um you have single malt which would be kind of well known around the world uh kind of it's been marketed this last century is the, the best type of whiskey but it's sort of uh, subjective and then you have blended whiskey, which can be a blend of grain or malt or pot still. Um, and then you have the single pot still category. So we kind of focus in on what we like to drink first, you know, through sort of being involved in whiskey clubs and doing tastings and that type of thing over the last few years. That's kind of what leads us first. Um, I guess one of the, the main companies we work with, they're called the Great Northern Distillery based in Dundalk. About 20 minutes from the warehouse from us and uh, our initial sort of products for two stacks which uh, we have like a signature blend or a core blend we work with their master distiller and master blender a guy called brian watts and um, unfortunately he passed away last year but initially we worked with brian to come up with our initial blend um, we ended up with five different whiskies in the blend um, there's virgin cast green bourbon cast green there's pot still whiskey, which has been in sherry barrels. Uh, there's double distilled malt, and then there's a little bit of peated malt in it. So it's kind of just always experimenting, always tasting, and sort of not settling until we're satisfied that the product's good. So that blend, you know, it took us uh, maybe six months of back and forth and visiting brand numerous times. And he was kind of, um, nobody was really approaching them that way, uh, you know, wanting to have such a complex kind of um, amount of input into a blend, but 
that's kind of what led us on to all of the products we've created since you know we we have a single malt which uh has three different malts in it there's peated malt triple distilled double distilled um and then we have a pot still which is we, we age in rye casks a single grain which is finished in sherry they kind of make up our core products but we then have you know created other things like uh smoke emerge which is our peated malt it has imperial stout casks uh for 60 percent of it 30 percent of it's peated and then 10 percent double distilled and we brought in a craft brewery that we work with a uh, brehan brew house in monaghan to um they finish their beer imperial stout in the whiskey cask we use and then we refinish the whiskey in those casks uh so it's kind of from our, our craft beer days bringing that sort of circular back in working with the brewery as well um and i guess visually we're lucky that we have a good designer a guy called johnny lloyd uh he's based in belfast he works with us closely on both the cologne and two stacks brand and he kind of just gets it and gets what we're into and um we try and try and create like a visual appeal of if we're using a certain type of file that the flavors are almost displayed on the label if that kind of makes sense you know that, that colors and shapes uh feed into what you're going to try and sort of experience when you're tasting the whiskey so um yeah i guess we just first and foremost like make whiskey that we want to drink ourselves because we're just see yourselves as guys enjoy the, the, the flavors um, i mean it's it's clear to be seen that you have an immense knowledge um of your business and whiskey in particular uh, i think you, you you talked about geeking out um mm. um and you're probably fortunate in that you're one of those people that can come home to your wife smelling of of, of drink and you can be forgiven because that's your business um, yeah. um you've, you've touched upon the artwork and I, I talked to someone before, I think it was uh, Frankie Bannon, uh, the mm. local Newry artist that, that has done some work for you. Um, yeah. I think your brand has been incredibly innovative because whiskey, I mean, the conventional branding has is quite dull. Um, I think in many ways. I was thinking about this yesterday and give us... I, I, you, I would imagine you've seen some of those blazers that people wear and it's got a crest on it. You know, one of those boring um, crests, you know, that they're a member of a rotary club or something. And, and, and visually, that's what I kind of see conventional whiskey branding as. Um, but what you guys have done, and I think I, I read something that one of the papers or an article um, kind of said that you have reinvigorated the industry um that i suppose perhaps in many ways has become stagnant um and this is probably quite a lofty question uh, but i would imagine that you're well fit to answer when you have an industry as age old as irish whiskey and you've mm -hmm. got titans of the industry like jemison and Tullymore Jr. and you know Redbreast and, and people like that yeah. how do you how do you reinvigorate an industry that is aged older and, and breathe, breathe fresh air into it yeah well <laughs> I guess that's it you know we even with iron craft beverages and say going back to when we started it's that true taste of ireland you know it's kind of there's modern and contemporary things happening and i guess the craft beer scene the whiskey scene well in whiskey i guess it wasn't really happening as much and we kind of got into that and sort of 
created a, a little bit. Um, but it is the likes of artists, you know, like Frankie, like Frankie would, you know, has hand painted a lot of bottles for us and stuff like that. And it's visually very striking, it's very appealing. And the whiskey collectors and people kind of following us, like we've got a group called the Two Stacks Nation. And with Rowan, there's a, a group called the Cologne Cult, kind of online, you know, Facebook sort of led groups. There's several thousand sort of people involved in those groups where they are more closely following the brand so um any sort of special releases we do in that they, they hear about it first and mostly bad first and um you know we get to see them at whiskey live or Belfast whiskey week or different tastings we would do so there's a great community built up around it but i guess from the yeah we didn't really want to recreate like as i said there's 50 distilleries but there's probably three or three or four hundred brands of irish whiskey sold around the world at the moment and work transparency is really a a big part of two stacks where we initially said we said we're an independent bottler we're not a distillery we're not mm-hmm. trying to be a distillery this is a this is our business model where we will independently bottle whiskies from various distilleries uh throughout ireland that we think are good and now we sort of say we're bonder blenders because we have our own facility which you know we're hands-on with the liquid we 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 go to distilleries and, and design the mash bill and say this is a recipe that we want to create you know we've done things like 100 rye whiskey irish rye whiskey which there isn't a category of it yet um we do say the oats rye and wheat mash bills uh heavy on malted barley content uh, and then we, you know, we we buy and select uh, mature whiskey, anything up to thirty-two-year-old Bushmills and different ages of Cooley Distillery uh, malts and grain that that's out there. And then we put our own stamp on it with kind of uh, you know finishing casts that are maybe slightly unusual for the industry. So, something new, like kind of we would see things and uh, aren't afraid to experiment and nothing's really gone hardly wrong yet you know most things kind of work out out well but it's i suppose sort of taking calculated risks where you kind of think this is going to work you know so give it a go and see but yeah visually we didn't want to be the same as i guess 299 of the other brands out there where it's uh trying to be jamison or trying to to be like tullamore or bushmills um we just kind of had to start with a blank canvas and coming from the craft brewery sort of years like you know you had amazing artwork and visuals that come out of the craft brewing industry and it was kind of that like let's bring that into the whiskey world and create something new so our original bottle it was it's called antica pharmacia so it's kind of a pharmacy style bottle not a traditional uh, whiskey bottle shape and then using you know full uh sort of front and back labels to to bring out and say that visual representation of the flavors that's in the whiskey or the the type of whiskey it is um and then we're we're currently moving to a new uh custom bottle which um it sort of elevates the packaging a little bit but Mm -hmm. foremost is our our logo which is um the two stacks name it actually comes from um the old Dundalk distillery, which is uh, now like the, the train station in Dundalk and the Louth County Museum, and 
parts of that but there used to be a distillery there that had the two largest chimney stacks in ireland at the time and navigators you know uh, seafarers coming in the boats would have used the two chimneys and the northern star for navigation so let's say we looked at the history of irish whiskey but it's a contemporary forward look at that so the logo's abstract of those two chimney stacks on the, the northern star so kind of a an abstract look at seeing the history that was there but now we're getting our way into the future in a sort of contemporary modern take and um similar with i suppose drama to can nobody doing this it is innovative and um, we were contract brewing beers for airlines and supermarkets and when we started out in craft beer everybody was using these 500 mil large bottles um we had problems with that in terms of they're very heavy they're very big when you're trying to export across the world you're shipping heavy glass and you know the cases were big and chunky and you didn't get that much product onto a pallet so kind of yeah i don't know how it actually came about initially but it was like be better in a can you know you've you've no uv light penetration there's less oxygen in it it'll be lightweight you know um so you can uh the boring part of it you know you can fit uh, more onto a pallet more into a container and it's sort of it's it's eco-friendly actually you know to, to ship this way so um yeah those innovative ideas kind of came through and then we were not really afraid to go into it yeah nobody's done this before but that's that's be the first to, to try it and the drama can has worked out really well for us um in the last two years like we've, we've sold about one and a half million units um and that is continuing quite well and we're with two two products in the can at the minute the the signature blend and, and the, the single malt we're just about to launch the single grain and the pot still as well as uh, our irish cream liqueur which is kind of another sector we've gone into um we, we spent about two years working on an Irish cream liqueur recipe, uh, which we feel is, you know, a really good recipe. Um, if you look at, say, market leaders or the market standard, in an Irish cream liqueur, only 1% of the alcohol is whiskey. The other 16%, because usually they're around 17% alcohol, uh, is a neutral spirit. So you're not really tasting whiskey in it. But that's what Irish cream and liqueur kind of meant to us was like you know it's bringing the dairy and the Irish whiskey together mm -hmm. so um we kind of we use about eight and a half times more Irish whiskey in the cream blend you do need the whey neutral spirit for stabilization with the cream but we also wanted it to be luxurious and the uh, taste really good so we doubled the cream content as well or, or the butterfat percentage content to make it a double cream so we call it the double Irish cream liqueur and uh, again the sort of the, the bottle itself and the, the branding people are really commenting on how good it looks you know and that's that's kind of part of it that the product tastes amazing um, but also the the brand looks good so you do need the both to sort of stand out on the shelf and for people to pick it up um, so it's, it's been a good success for us and we're just about to put the cream into a can as well which I think it's going to do pretty well. I wanted to ask, and obviously I've looked at your website and I understand um, the, the drama in the can is, is a world first 
you know, um, when you are trying to do something new that's effectively not been done before, what, what are some of the concerns? I mean, you guys seem to, to, to not be afraid to fail. Um, and I've, I've heard the, the saying before that fail forward, you know, yeah. if you're going to fail, fail forward. And, and there's obviously a lot to be learned from it. But when you're looking to, to, to be that innovative, where you're essentially doing the first of something, what, what are some of the concerns when you try to, 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 to put that particular um, product out there? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of, I guess there's technical challenges and legal challenges and stuff that we've come up across, but you know, we've got, got through them. But I guess your initial concerns are, uh, is anybody going to want to buy this product essentially? You know, is there a fit for it in the market and how is it going to be sold or what's the best way of uh, presenting it? You know, that type of thing. But it, it, like you still, the drama can't still in some markets they don't really know where to place it like we we got a list in with tesco there recently in, in northern ireland and it's kind of uh when you're chatting with the, the bar they're like okay do we put this beside the cocktails or do we put it beside the whiskey or what way do we do it and we also do the, the drama can the four pack so luckily tesco kind of listen to this we said look you're going to sell more selling them single units because it's only five and six pound a can versus you know a 20 or 25 pound four pack and uh, it should be placed beside the whiskey and not with the cocktails because people will think it's a cocktail it's in that section you know so it's it is a bit different but it's it's straight whiskey in a can so let's place it beside the whiskey bottles um but we kind of learned that over the first few years of uh selling it in the us and, and other markets where um there is a little bit of confusion of where does it go um, where does this fit but because it's new it's new and you know there's a big job for us to do is you know the educational piece around you know explaining why does this product exist and why did you see the need for it and it is kind of you know it's it's the price point being lower you know it's when we're launching our whiskey bottles we're like how do you get more people tasting it how do you get liquid on lips um a miniature side serving is less of a buyer to entry you know it's a lower cost for a consumer to take a risk on it but it gets them initially in to tasting our product and, and then maybe they come further uh, accepting to the brand and go then and buy the whiskey bottles which we find is true but um yeah it's it's i guess it's uh not being afraid to take the risk and you know there there will be lots of hurdles lots of barriers um but can work your way through them and it kind of it has gone fast you know in the last two and a half years since we launched it but um it still feels quite fresh and quite new and we're still introducing it to, to new people so um i guess yeah you just kind of take a month and see how it goes yeah you, you seem to have a very commonsensical and, and practical uh outlook to things i mean I've heard I've heard it said before, you know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, no point complicating things. And I think you you talked about the weight of 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 exporting glass and how much heavier it is, and it made more sense to to, to ship the the drama they can. And you know, practically that makes perfect sense. Um, I, I see that. I mean, it's been a tremendous success in that in the short time that since it's launched, it's sold over a million and a half. But I see that it's also uh, 
been awarded uh, gold at the London Spirits competition as well. How, how important are they as a measure of success when you when you receive a reward for a product? Yeah, I guess sometimes we are a bit cynical about the awards. Um, you know, first year or so we didn't enter any because um, we were just kind of thinking, oh, it's more about pay to play and, you know, are you going to advertise with the company that's behind the awards company and in your magazine or things like that. But we have softened up a bit where, you know, it, it's nice when you win sort of thing. Like, so there's the likes of the, you kind of go for the most reputable ones, you know, it, it took us a little while just to sit back and see which awards actually are good and make sense. So for us, the, the best awards are the Irish Whiskey Awards um, because they're blind tasted and it's blind tasted by various whiskey clubs throughout Ireland. Um, so last year we won the best pot still in Ireland 12 years and younger with our Polaris 1.2 release, which was a seven year old pot still in a Cabernet Franc ice wine casks. And those casks we painstakingly sourced from Canada, uh, very hard to get them. And it was tricky, you know, to actually bring them into Ireland and whatnot. But um, it, it came out as a really nice whiskey. And because it was blind tasted and judged by, you know, all these whiskey clubs, that that award actually means more to us. And we were in the category with the likes of Middleton Distillery, they had Blue Spot and Gold Spot released that year. So, um, you know, to beat those two products, you wouldn't really, I would be concerned if it wasn't a blind taste and, and you know, the brand was first and the, the sort of the more well-known brand would be selected. But so that, that sort of, there's integrity to that. And then there are other competitions which we've entered like the uh, World Whiskey Awards. Um, last year we won the, the Icons of Whiskey Independent Butler of the Year, which uh, in Ireland, which was a nice accolade to get, and a few of the whiskies won gold. Um, and then, yeah, the London Spurs competition is pretty good. San Francisco uh, Spurs competition is another well-renowned one in America, but also globally. They had adventures from all over the world. So we kind of, you know, we don't enter everything, but the ones we do, it's kind of, is there a meaning behind it? And, you know, is there integrity? And the likes of our, uh, the cream liqueur, we won uh, gold for taste and gold for design in the uh, World Liqueur Awards, which are associated with the World Whiskey Awards and IWSE, the International Wine and Spirits Competition. We had two goals in it as well with the cream. So you can enter like 50 awards, but um, those sort of four to five um, that actually have a meaning behind them, we're, we're happy to enter them. And it's been good that we the products we have submitted have won uh, the accolades of uh, gold and um, Cologne Distillery won a double gold at the uh, San Francisco Spirit Awards for rum and raisin, which is the core single malt that we do in, in sherry casks and rum casks. Um, so like double gold is the top award and it was amazing to win that. It was like the first really awards that we entered with Cologne. So, um, they do have relevance in terms of, you know, if you're if you're pitching to an international buyer, it's if you're able to say, you know, this product has won this award, it just gives them more confidence that, you know, it's a it's a good tasting product and 
you know, it's likely to be well received by their customers. So it has relevance in that space where you can, uh, you know, when you're pitching or when you're listing new products with um, distributors or importers or retailers or duty-free people and whatnot, that if you have that to say that, yeah, these products have won awards, it, it helps get things over the line. So it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's clear to see that in, I guess, a relatively short space of time, um, you're enjoying tremendous success. I mean, I've seen that, you know, the products and stuff are being imported or exported to, to 25 different countries. There's 30 states in America that your your products are available in. Mm-hmm. I mean, is, is all of that validation that you're doing something right? Um, and like, how, how do you cultivate those relationships um, mm-hmm. that you that in a relatively short space of time that you're able to have a, a global impact effectively? Yeah. Well, I guess, as I say, like, you know, we are like nine years in, in business now and the first five, six years of that is, was learning a lot of stuff and uh, failing a good few times. Um, so we kind of just, I guess, to, to win new lessons, we're, we've kind of been fortunate that I think we're at about 30 plus markets now. It's probably closer to 35, but half of them would be us chasing it. And then the other half, it's come to us organically through kind of word of mouth or, you know, perhaps, you know, the, the importer searching. Like the Irish whiskey category is experiencing a, a revival at the moment. You know, it's growing internationally. So uh, you're enjoying that, but the, the industry itself is is benefiting from growth and importers and distributors around the world are seeking out the Irish whiskey brands and through their own research they're finding us which is great you know and it is the sort of PR that's out there or awards or articles or maybe our website or things like that that they're coming to us and we're getting inquiries and then we we kind of have the process internally that you know here here's our our deck of who our company is what the brand's about here's our uh, our sell sheets, which are like our product information sheets. And I think also what we've worked on is like our commercial viability, you know, our, our pricing structure is is good. You know, we would spend a lot of time looking at um, what the price should be on shelf, you know, in the home market and overseas, and then working back, you know, the value chain and how to get it there. And what is, uh, you know, our works pricing, what is our, costs, uh, wholesale costs, um, or sale prices. So it's just really through years of experience kind of building up that we, you know, we know we have to be good value and we know we have to, um, have a good product. That's the only way you're going to really make it. And those things have lined up, but we focus in on various different, uh, markets like global travel retail. We spent the last two years really trying to get into that space um it's been tricky and i don't think every brand's doing it but you spend resource there to get in um now we're listed in dubai airport abu dhabi Qatar. we're in like a good footing in dublin airport and um there's several others but we're expanding into some of the uk airports and uh further afield in the us and whatnot so it's kind of it takes like with certain things you're going if we're going to put effort behind it you know it has to be for the long term so 
like it took us a year to get one listing in the airport but then once we got the car to buy one of it and things like that so it, it happens for a reason but sometimes you just have to constantly work at it and and then with the word of mouth i guess of other distributors talking to distributors in neighboring countries where oh see you've got this brand um we might be recommended but it's because we kind of work with our partners you know and give them the support they need in terms of you know marketing spend um so we'd, we'd have like a advertising and promotion budgets with each of our distributors it is kind of volume led you know that the more they buy the more we can support them um we have our t internally you know we have our tiers of you know which markets can get the most focus because there's the best opportunities there the most volume um and we get behind that with visits over to the market so we we do a lot of travel um there's myself shane and donald as i said that the, the co-founders two stacks we they like it that the co-founders are going to meet them you know and traveling over to see them and going to whiskey shows in their market um and seeing my brand in the cologne you know a lot of travel and then also inbound so like each year we run a competition with our u.s distributors um you know whoever sells the most product within a certain time period usually it's in the first quarter of the year and they run into st patrick's day there's kind of a um incentive there that the top seller from each state um is invited down on an all expenses trip to ireland they, they take them out in dublin have nice meal nice time out take them up to Newry, stay in Calibi Castle, in the castle, uh, go to Two Stacks, go out to Cologne, have a dinner in Cologne, um, dinner in the castle that night, and then we take them to Belfast for a night, and everybody has a good time, has a good trip, and then they go back to the market and continue to, sit, to you know promote ourselves in a, in a good light, and anytime we're receiving uh, visitors, you know, it's kind of, show them a good time and they reciprocate when we go to visit them but it is kind of just getting out there and doing the travel and uh, a lot of stuff's done online like we we launched during covid and that was kind of it was good for us actually that we were able to um because we wouldn't have the budgets of the jemisons or the resources to have brand ambassadors on the ground in all these markets but you could do tastings and trainings over the, the internet and we kind of used that to our advantage to get launched and now it's returned to a little bit more in-person travel um but that's kind of what we're doing you know we're putting the putting the time and effort into promoting the brands in in market and then you know training the distributor staff and supporting them so that they can do that when we're not there ourselves that's kind of yeah. there's a lot of, a lot of time and effort into it but it's, it's worthwhile. Um, obviously, Irish has a rich history, or Ireland has a rich history in, in, in whiskey. Um, but I, I very often think that the general public's understanding of whiskey is probably misplaced. I mean, you can probably relate to this, and I know I can. I mean, my relationship with whiskey was usually at the end of a night. You know, after having a, had a feed of beer, you finish off with a, a couple of whiskey and coke, and you're done. Like, but I had no real appreciation for it. Um, I mean, I've always had an interest in whiskey because I think given the way that it's done and, you know, that certain casks are held for 
a certain amount of time that it, it has a particular story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what, what, it, how is whiskey misunderstood generally? And um, I, I, I very often feel that it, it's it's not appreciated. You probably have that appreciation, and it's very different from the the, you know, Joe blogs on the street, but. What could you educate people on that, that that they could perhaps appreciate whiskey in a different way? Yeah, no, that, that's true. Like I guess, you know, people might see whiskey as kind of an older man strike type thing, and I guess you could say in, in Scottish whiskey that's maybe even more of a stigma for them, you know, because uh, although Scottish whiskey is bigger than Irish whiskey currently. Uh, it used to be the other way around where Irish was, was a far bigger industry um, and Scotland came later. They're kind of stagnating a wee bit now where it has that sort of attitude of it's, it's for older men type thing. And the previous generation maybe would have wanted to drink what their fathers drank, but this current generation doesn't want to drink what their parents drank type thing. So it can get trickier to be relevant to younger people. Um, what we think with Irish whiskey, you know, there's... It is that more innovation and stuff that's happening and there there's those different styles you've got the blended whiskey single grain single malt single pot still you know there's so much versatility in it and uh, the likes of a single grain is light and delicate and it goes well in in cocktails and it's it's quite sweet as well and uh, i think it's really getting people interested in whiskey it's really trying it you know getting them to taste it maybe for the first time or you know being a bit more comfortable with it um it's really just tasting it like we a good bit of the stuff we do is a bit on the geeky side and there's a lot of cast strength whiskey which is straight from the barrel where it's not cut down or diluted with water and that can be aggressive so you kind of when you're introducing somebody to it you know you kind of you have to bring them on a journey of starting out with something that's not gonna um scare them off really so you go for go for the light and delicate maybe unpeated stuff first and um, move from maybe the grain into a complex or a blend and uh, then single malt which can be you know sweet as well it can be fruity different casts use you know likes of sherry casts bring in like a richer darker fruit but you know you, that's kind of what you do like people just sort of need to engage with it a little and it could start off as a mixed drink as well you know likes of a highball which is can be just soda water sparkling water type thing mixed with whiskey we kind of you know we stay away from coke and stuff like that i suppose um although that might be how like i probably got into whiskey through jack daniels and coke type thing but sort of you know showing people that you can appreciate whiskey you know by just sitting down and, and enjoying it, but it's, it's good to do a tasting experience. So the likes of it in Uri here in, a, in our, our bonded warehouse where I'm sitting now, it's inside shipping containers and we have a, a little tasting room um, and we do a, a sort of a blending experience where we call it the art of the blend. So people would come on a tour with us and create their own blended whiskey. So we, we'd have great, the green, the malt, the pot and the peated. Um, kind of guide them on this is the, the four styles you can taste them individually and then to create a blend you might use you know a certain amount of grain to your malt and pot still and if you do like the pea or the slightly smoke smoky flavor 
you know, what a small bit of that can do in your brain. So something like that's kind of fun and interactive and gets people to understand the different styles. And then we would have like a premium tour where probably more towards the gigs where we could down and open up a few casts of the whiskey and take samples out and they can taste direct from the barrel. And that's when you're going to get the higher alcohol content, the more punchy flavors. But once you're kind of into whiskey, you can start really appreciating that. Um, so it, it's tricky and it's sort of, uh, it takes a while. It takes a lot of education and a lot of time. But I think once somebody gets into it, they can end up down a rabbit hole of, Wow, there's so much to experience here. There's so many different uh, aspects to whiskey, the different styles of distillate, and then you've all the different various casks, and just lots of different things that can be, be done with it. And so you mentioned age statements, and you know, quite fascinating of learning about it. You know, similar to the wine world, I think, where um, you know you your different countries producing different styles and appellations. And all that sort of uh, DOCs and protected geographical areas and the different grape varieties and it's kind of once you sort of get into it, there's a you could spend years of your life learning. You know, it's it's all about learning. And the good thing about Irish whiskey, I think more than even the, the distillate or uh, different casts and things like that, is, is there's a good community in it. You know. There's, lots of uh, friendships made within the community and through the love of whiskey or tasting whiskey or discovering things and and sharing as well you know just the the amount of interactions you have online and in person with uh, whiskey fans it's there's good camaraderie and good friendships and yeah great fun um i wanted to ask that you touched upon the premium uh, whiskey experience uh, I mean, I, I've obviously looked online and tried to understand kind of footfall and what kind of money that can that can generate. And I think um, I've seen a, a figure of about 67 million from people visiting and having whiskey tours. Yeah. First, first and foremost, why do you think we're so compelled to want to have that experience? I mean, it's to be seen with Guinness, the Guinness, you know, uh, tour, you know, Jemison, the likes of yourselves offering that. What is it about it that we're drawn to that we want to have that experience and then secondly in, in, in terms of sale what kind of impact do those experiences then in turn have for, for sales mm -hmm. yeah i mean like <clears throat> whiskey tourism i guess in ireland it's still quite young but it, there are good uh, numbers there are good numbers of visitors um like with covid you kind of had a it was starting and it's kind of stopped but now it's started again so it's it's early days, but there's the likes of tourism Ireland, tourism Northern Ireland really understand there's a great opportunity here. People really want to come to Ireland and experience, um, you know, th these experiences, and especially in, in Irish whiskey. And I guess that, like Scotland, if you look at them, they have a amazing, you know, tourism industry built off the back of, of whiskey, and you know they do it really well. The, the regionality um, aspect of it's quite interesting to to go and visit the different areas of Scotland, like Isla would be the, the heavily peated region and then you'd Speyside, Campbelltown, that type of thing. Um, Highlands, Lowlands, but with Ireland, it's still quite, you know, quite new. And um, the likes of uh, people from America, people from Asia, the Europeans, like the Germans and whatnot, are 
just kind of used to that aspect traveling for tourism and, and looking for experiences and, and looking to do this sort of thing so yeah it's it's an exciting aspect of the irish whiskey market um and i think people the guys who are really into it want to once you do a tour in sort of a, a, a big corporate type environment they kind of become the same the same story gets told over and over again and um, once you kind of know about the basics of the production of you know turning the, the grains into the liquid and um, the brewing the fermentation the distillation and um, it's interesting to see but kind of what we're noticing is people really want to get geeky and go to kind of the off the track experience and the, the smaller experience so that's whenever the next two stacks and clone are starting to uh, really notice an impact of tourism so the next cologne distillery there it's it's at one of Ireland's smallest distilleries at the time when it started it was the smallest um it's a 10 meter by 10 meter shed and it's very authentic and you can really understand the process by going there because it's all done in one room essentially and uh you know the grains get milled on site they get mashed on site and there's wild fermentation so we would you know after we take off our our mash of the day we put it into a container and set it outside and let it get infected with wild bacteria um for a few weeks and then pitch some yeast um distillers yeast and then when we bring it in we double distill it using direct flame fired stills um and old style worm tub condensers and then the barrels are just in the next room so we also would smoke our own grains outside in a little shed so like people really enjoy going and seeing that where wow this is how, how this is you know made and you can see it all there and really experience it and get the smells of the brewing and distilling and, and have a fantastic tasting so yeah we're finding more and more and i'm kind of with us doing the the blending tour as opposed to discussing more about the distillation side of things it's more about appreciating the, the finished product and what you can do in the blending side of things um so yeah look at it's it's a really exciting aspect of the the industry that that's grown and let's say tourism Ireland and northern ireland are really looking to get behind that and um, in northern ireland they've developed the, the spirits trail which then gets marketed at places like the airports Belfast international Belfast city you know so people are coming in they're seeing uh you know an offering of here's 10 or so whiskey experiences in northern ireland you can go and visit and you get a distillery passport um so you can check off when you when you do the experiences um so all, all that's happened bring footfall and in the last few months we've been working with tourism ni with uh tour operators um the big one for two stacks is the golf tour operator so we have sleep honored down the road um mm -hmm. you've a lot of inbound american golfers and you know european and asian as well but most of it's american focused and we've hosted a few tours where you'd have generally like eight um people playing golf in the morning then coming for a whiskey experience in the afternoon you know it's just a real nice day out for them and being located located in Uri or an hour from dublin or you're an hour from belfast we're kind of on the way from like the people traveling to and from the airports and whatnot or traveling from royal county down they might be heading to dublin to play some of the courses down there port marnock and whatnot so that's been really good and when the american guys come in it's kind of they want the premium tour 
and then they want to buy an extra cocktail and then they want to buy the most expensive bottle you sell and bring it home with them so um we see a good opportunity for us next year where we have groups like that and not just golf but other tour operators uh bringing in a group of uh, people like eight to 12 people to experience uh, the whiskey tasting them it's just it's fun for them people to do when they're they're on a trip or they're on their holidays to to get a nice taste and um and then bring something a kind of authentic home with them that they can't maybe find in their home market readily available type thing and it's it's outside of the bigger brand um so i think it it, it would be interesting to see if, if they took the the whiskey tour before the golf um <laughs> yeah um yeah i i just wanted to try and understand that relationship between people taking the tour of the footfall and perhaps then an uptake in, in sales um, mm. and kind of what kind of relationship that that had um yeah, but, when, when people do visit you you know and they they get that experience um, and like with us, you're getting a personal experience. You're kind of meeting the, the co-founders and, uh, you know, getting sort of an in-depth, like ask whatever question you want, you know, and we'll... Well, you said it, it, it's it's authentic. I mean, you talked about the, the bigger corporate tours. I mean, uh, if I look at Guinness in particular, it's a very digitalized, virtual um, multimedia tour. And in fact, you don't really see production at all I, I i think my brother you know we used to work in the canal court for for many years uh in the bar yeah. but i think back in the day i think you used to see more of the nuts and bolts of guinness and its production but it's moved completely the other way and yeah, to be honest same, with the same with Jam. yeah they have the bow street in uh in dublin that's not a distillery site and then down in middleton and cork it's a visitor experience, but you don't get to see the stills or that type of thing. So they, them places do really, you know, huge amount of tourism and, you know, uh, lots of people go and visit them. But from our aspect, yeah, there is more of a behind the scenes kind of authentic and you're, you're right up to where the production's happening and it's great. And what it, what it kind of does is people having that experience, it, you know, it sticks with them and then when they travel home or they still want to experience the product. So, you know, um, they're sourcing it out, either buying it online or, or finding out where our distributors are. Um, you know, in America, like we'd have visitors and they're wanting to know, are you distributed in our state? You know, where can I buy this at home? And because we have a, a decent representation there, we can often direct them to where they can buy it. And uh, it's great. So you're building the kind of, brand advocates or brand ambassadors, people who have enjoyed the experience and then they go away and become a fan for, you could say, a life for, you know, or it just builds up that uh, your reputation and people really enjoy it. Because there's, there's recently it was, somebody was saying that um, this guy, Larry Dwyer, he does a podcast called Whiskey Chats. Um, he was saying, you know, people would, would say what their favorite whiskey is and he's surprised he's going up. It's not really a very good whiskey, but the reason why that really enjoys it is because they had a real good experience with it. You know, they had a real good tour or a real good tasting with somebody and it, it stuck with them and a, a brand can really stick with them. So it's important when people do come to visit us that uh, you know, we give them a real good experience and 
I think with Cologne Distillery, especially, like it's left a mark on lots of people that become real fans for life and really, really into the, the ethos of the distillery because they've, they've experienced it firsthand. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you mentioned at the outset about Two Stacks Nation. Um, you're developing a cult following. Um, and I seen on the website that the, you sell merchandise. Um, mm-hmm. how, how much of, uh, of, of that do people invest in? The merchandise or how necessary is it to your brand or is it just a a, a token to uh supplement the brand yeah i think i think it's kind of um it's, it's kind of nice to have sort of stuff you know the main thing is the whiskey but yeah when you have like groups that are fans that they love a bit of glassware they like to have they actually like our hoodies and t-shirts and all it, it is appreciated you know we don't see it as a a means to make profit or anything or have big sales with it a lot of the time we would give it give it away you know whiskey shoes and stuff but it's just yeah that's sort of building up the brand uh, notoriety type thing you know people visibility people see it but yeah it is when people come and visit especially you know when they're at the shop like it's sort of they want a, a hat or something to take away and and then wear it you know and show that oh i know this brand or being to their location and uh, it's quite good. So it's something we've only really been doing in the last, uh, I guess, year with having a bit of a merchandise offering. And uh, like with Cologne, the cult following there, there, this guy's looking, uh, you know, more of it. You know, we probably haven't offered enough of it, and they want sort of uh, different things. You know, they'd be saying to us, "Oh, we class to have like two stack socks." So we went got. We went and get socks made or was because people were saying oh i saw our socks and we saw two black socks and we would have some funny things coming out now and again and then uh, as i said it's, it's the the cult followers that are wanting to get it and snap it up yeah i don't know uh, do you think that if you were to gift people two stack socks for christmas they might be offended because like <laughs> he's he's just taking them from work or I wanted to understand the significance because I'd read about you guys opening your facility, uh, it being the first of its kind in, in the Newry area for X amount of number of years. Like, what, what is the significance of that? Uh, and what, what does it mean? Yeah, well, I guess it's, yeah, people don't really understand what a bonder blender is, like what is a bonded warehouse. Um, you sort of go back in history again, back to like the 1800s. Irish whiskey heyday was the most sold spirit in the world. Um, you had the, the distilleries like, say, John's Lane in Dublin, which was a Jameson distillery. You had, um, or it was a Parish distillery, sorry. And then you had uh, Bow Street, Jameson distillery. The distilleries actually at the time mainly produced the whiskey and then they sold it on to merchants or, or bonders you see it in lots of mirrors and stuff around like say duke york and belfast again there's all the memorabilia and or in pubs all around ireland or old grocery shops you see the words like bonders and whatnot and basically even with say guinness at the time the the whiskey or, or the beers were transported in bulk in say casks even to the local merchants you know you could have had a hardware shop and a pub and it was all the one type thing and they, they bottled the guinness there on site and the, the bonders they took the spirit and matured it and finished it in vials so 
some of the like we mentioned red breast earlier um it was a bonder called uh, gilby's and they were uh, a wine importer in dublin so it would have been importing sherry a good bit so they would have bottled the sherry in ireland and then had the anti-sherry cast took it to the distillery had it filled and then they kept it in their own bonded warehouse until a certain time where they're ready to bottle it with rare breasts it was uh you know a 10 year old product at the time and now it'd be sort of known as the 12 year old would be the starting one but there was that rich tradition of bonders and blenders throughout Ireland. there was you know thousands of them um and the distillery brands weren't really the main thing that people thought of they, they thought of the bonders as the brand mm -hmm. so um it was common sort of a uh, place throughout Ireland um not that long ago in history that there was lots of bonders around them the bonded warehouse term comes from you know that it's a tax uh, sort of terminology where if you hold something under bond you don't pay the taxes until you take it out of the bond um and a bond might you know technically mean that you with the the tax authorities you have a bond with them to cover the liability on that so with us having a bonded warehouse here in Newry um, and throughout Ireland, there's only there's only several bonding companies at the moment. Um, you have uh, JJ Corey is one based in, in Clare and WD O'Connell as well as another uh, bonding company. And, and then Two Stacks were kind of one of the only ones in the, in the north, as far as I know. Um, and the, the difference between the bonder and, and uh, an independent bottler or you know a whiskey brand that doesn't have a dis distillery whether they disclose that or not or try and make it look like they have a distillery is that you know we have control over the liquids and that the casks of whiskey are in our warehouse you know and we bottle them ourselves we blend them ourselves we pick the casks they go into so it's a uh, yeah it's, it's kind of a uh, we see that as um, there should be more of that, or there will be more of that coming back into the Irish whiskey space, where you have not just you know lots of new distilleries starting, but uh, more independent bottlers and more bonders coming into the space, and that's where you get uh, a kind of a more robust market. Um, if you look at Scotland, as kind of being a stronger market, you know, in the more recent history, they have lots of different independent bottlers and bonder type companies you know say like johnny walker is one of the most sold whiskies in the world it's not a, dist a distillery johnny walker it's made up of about 20 distilleries liquids that the as you have doing them all but you know the liquid comes from various distilleries and goes into a, a product um that's kind of where we see a future direction happening again in irish whiskey so Whenever we started Two Stacks, that was what we set out to be and, and do. And people often ask us, like, uh, where's your distillery? Or, or are you looking to build a distillery? And that's like, no, we're not. You know, this is bonding is, is an art form in itself or, or blending is an art form in itself. And we can create new categories. So you hear the term single, single malt, single grain, single pot still. Single means it comes from one distillery. But like, like in other markets like as i mentioned scotland there's a whole other category which is like blended malt so that means you know that the single malts are taken from various different distilleries and then blended together and it creates a new sort of category in itself so for us like even pot still whiskey being unique to ireland we're uniquely positioned that we can be the 
one of the only ones that do blended pot stills um, so taking the distillate from the various distilleries and that's some of the projects we have in the pipeline and some of the casts and, and warehouse here we have our blends of malts and pot stills from different distilleries in Ireland and that's new and exciting I guess commonplace 100 150 years ago but that's sort of a a different take on how to to be an Irish whiskey company type thing that we're reintroducing that but it's uh, you know it was commonplace in history so uh, yeah that that's kind of why we think it's unique and uh, it's cool to have it in Uri and um, one of the only companies doing it and I think at the moment not one, the only company in, in Northern Ireland that sets out to do that, that's their, their take on, on the Irish whiskey industry that makes sense yeah, I think it's it's wonderful that in many ways you, you pay homage uh, to Irish whiskey heritage, and you speak clearly of that in in your abs, abstract take on the on the the, the chimneys into dock and that that uh, that heritage. Um, but you put a contemporary twist in it uh, on what you're trying to trying to do, and it's clear to see that very excited things uh, lie ahead. But I wanted to understand lastly, like in a billion dollar industry, how difficult is it to, to, to carve a space out for yourself and not only do that, but because I would imagine over the course of whiskey uh, history that there's been many that have come and gone. But how do you ensure that that space that you carve out for yourself, that it's sustainable and that you secure longevity? Well, yeah, I think you just have to, you know, live and die by your your ethos and your principles of what your brand is. So for us, it's transparency, it's, you know, innovation, and it's uh, integrity, and it's kind of uh, flavor first, you know, so we kind of have to do that. It, it might sound like we've set ourselves a hard task, but, you know, we have to always innovate, but it kind of comes naturally, I suppose, that just that's the way we operate. So we'd, we'd always be looking to create new whiskeys, new flavors, but also disrupt things to do with packaging and things to do with the uh, presentation and stuff like so like we've got a million ideas type thing and we just you can't do them all at once but you focus in on the sort of the one or two or three that are you think's kind of the, the best ideas of the, of the moment and kind of go with that and being smaller company we can be nimble you know we can decide to do what we want quite quickly compared to say a, a bigger corporation type business where you know for them decisions might be marketing led and then it takes one or two years or longer to, to bring it to market whereas we're more flexible and can move quite quickly um kind of have fun with it too you know it's you know i guess we set out if we're gonna be working for ourselves you know the risks that come with that you know are, are tricky but if, if it works like let's try and make it fun you know you don't want to you don't want it to become boring or uh not interesting anymore so yeah just keep things fun and that kind of feeds into the the culture like we are a small company but we've a growing team in the last year we've it doesn't sound like a whole lot but you know we've hired uh, like four new people and kind of them coming into the, the the team um, and experience and kind of the we want this workplace to be fun type thing it's 
that's a big part of it, you know, and everybody can contribute and everybody can have an idea and uh, we'll work together and uh, try and make them things happen. And, you know, there is sort of that get stuck in attitude as well because we're a small team. So if we have pressure to get orders out and whatnot, it's like all hands on deck. Everybody jumps on the can line or the bottom line and everybody does, you know, different, everybody helps out, but we kind of, uh, have our strengths, you know, and then that's what role you go into. My strength, I guess, would be in the, in the operations and the financial end of it, you know, being an accountant, it's very helpful that way. And Shane's strengths would be in the sales and, um, you know, leading that. And uh, Donald as well, his strengths are in the brand ambassador. He's, we would see him as global brand ambassador, meaning he's, He's the guy that can really present the product really well. He does the best tastings and he's great for um, going over and meeting distributors and doing uh, trainings and whatnot. So yeah, kind of everybody working to their strengths and I guess we're all really into it. Like, you know, it's sort of, it's not a nine to five thing. It's, it can be tricky at times, but you know, you're constantly like uh, involved in it. Like, you know, you're, work a lot of hours but it sort of it doesn't feel like work you know that's what i wanted to understand like how much fun are you having with it uh, well as much fun that you can allow yourself to have because at the end of the day there's, there's still a need to generate revenue and and, and earn a living from it but i yeah. i'd heard before someone said that you know if, if 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 you're fortunate enough to do what you love that you'll never work another day in your life um yeah it's something like that you know it's <clears throat> Trying to get it to be like that. Um, there is challenges, you know. There's sometimes things go wrong, or it's, it's tough to get over. There's, there's big challenges and whatnot, but it's satisfying in a way. Like it's, I think that there's fun aspects in making it successful. You know, growing the turnover and being more profitable and reinvesting that into the business and opening up a warehouse and you know buying uh, more machinery and making things more efficient and then investing in the future, like whiskey is a long-term game. Like where we go out to distilleries every year and commission our own mash bills, you know, so we, we source the barrels, we take the barrels to the distillery, go down, do a day or two's distilling and then fill those barrels, take them back to our warehouse. But, you know, you're not going to sell that for about five years, fancy, or it could be three years, but it could be, could be 10 years, you know, um, so it's kind of, there's a lot of uh, risk, but the reward is, is there whenever you, you know, release products and people enjoy them and you get good feedback and that kind of fuels you to keep going and keep coming up with ideas. Like the likes of the 100% rye Irish whiskey, it's, that was a project from coming up two years ago now. And we, we tasted from time to time. It's not whiskey yet, but we go on, this is going to be really cool when it comes out, you know, and people are going to, like be surprised by that sort of thing so there is that type of stuff keeps you going and wanting you to do uh more you could say it's innovation but it's it's more just sort of uh try trying things out things that you think would work and not just taking a solo approach but because we've got the team dynamic and there's a few of us we bounce the ideas off and if two or three of us or three out of four of us like the idea then let's give it a go but there's one or two things that one or two whiskies that wouldn't be my favorite, but the other guys love, whereas I might love something and they don't, but 
it is that whole broad spectrum of different styles and different flavors suit uh, various people. So it's just quite interesting, you know, and it keeps us motivated to, to keep doing it and um, for the love of it. And yeah, it's a bit like a, a, with Cologne Distillery there, you know, I was mentioning about the process of uh, the mashing, the brewing and, and the fermentation being long and the distilling using that old tech style techniques of direct flame fire it takes us 12 hours in a, in a shift you know in a day to to do one distillation and um out of like we would make a, a thousand liters of beer sassy at the start of the process um out of that a thousand liters after the double distillation you get 70 liters of spirit that can be that that's your hearts of your your second cut um, that's what become whiskey. So to fill one bar of whiskey takes us three three days of distillation, and it's crazy. Like it's like that's not it's, if you compare it to a larger, more commercial distillery, they'd be filling tens, if not hundreds, of barrels a, a day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, it's for the passion or the love of no. This is we're making this distillate in a way that we think it's going to be awesome. And now that the the whiskies are past the three-year-old mark you know some of them and some of it's now four years old just tasting it and then getting a the reaction from other people saying like, wow this is a, an amazing spirit it kind of fulfills kind of the four years of hardship it took to get that product to the market um i would imagine patience has to be a virtue uh, you you would need uh, patience and bucket loads uh, in the whiskey industry yeah that's it a lot, a lot of patience and uh, a lot of hard work you know brendan there's you know he's doing 12 hour days it's crazy like you know and um to, to sustain that for a long time it sort of has to be fun and it has to be it has to be the passion behind it to drive you to want to do it and um yeah that's kind of what we do i wanted to ask and uh, um, it, it relates to your polaris uh, collection um, I, w- I was reading on the website and it has a particular narrative, you know, it's one of adventure, wonder, you know, cosmic in many respects, you know, it talks about the North Star. When you, when you supplement a whiskey with a particular narrative and story, like, what, why, why is that done? I mean, because I, I would imagine it's not necessary, but in, in many ways it's a selling point that, mm-hmm. because people love a story, you know, and, and they love when a, a product like wine or whiskey is storied. Um, but how do you feel when it has that narrative and story behind it that it resonates with with consumers? Yeah, I think as long as the story is authentic, you know, and there's there's a reason for it, and it's, it's, there are a lot of narratives out there and stories that they could find out very quickly if they're not, if they're not true or there's not an authenticity behind it. You know, if there's somebody's calling themselves a master distiller or something they got when they're not distilling, it's very easy to find out that that's not the truth. So I guess with any of our narratives, like, like Polaris, it is a sort of a focus on uh, the North Star of our logo, about that navigation piece. So we wanted to have a collection that, you know, there's only going to be one or well, two or three releases a year, and it's sort of warehouse exclusive. So people can only buy direct from us um but it is kind of us champion these are the the whiskies that we find are the best we have in the warehouse and 
Um, it's done in a series, you know, so we had 1.1, 1.2, 1.3 was a series of the Cabernet Franc ice wine casks. We did a single malt, then a single pot still, and then a blend of malt and pot still. Now we're moving on to Polaris 2.1, 2.2 series, um, which is, is different barrel finishing and a different take on it. So it's, uh, I think, yeah, for for the whiskey consumer, um, it is good to have some uh, categorization within your portfolio so they can understand like what's the, the focus here. It could be that um, we have another product that we had released called Time Well Spent. And um, it was a 12 year old single grain and a 21 year old single malt. So the time well spent for us is kind of the more age statement type product, you know, a bit older. And um, we don't focus on the age statements because we don't really believe that age statements equal, you know, the older it is, the better it is. It's not often the case. Um, but, you know, it's good to define that into a category where time well spent. We're, what we're saying here is here's the more older age statement stuff we have Polaris this is our collection of the best this that we think we have in our warehouse and there will be a few other little series that come out um, over time it just helps sort of people to navigate uh, what is this offering that the, the guys are up and out there you know we would always have our core collection <clears throat> um, even within the core collection there's a slight categorization that we have three of them that we call um double barrel series just means two casts used so you, the single grain double barrel single malt double barrel and single pot still double barrel and um, then we have our signature blend which we do in a cast strength version and then smoke and mirrors being the peated imperial stout one and then you can see those in bottle and those in can and then anything outside of that where we have uh special finishes special cast finishes it's sort of it's just kind of good to try and categorize them so uh you know people can understand what what it is that you're offering so um similar with cologne i guess we have rum and raisin is kind of what we would call the core whiskey product but then we also have barn tool barn tool is an old irish word for means uh, authenticity really um or true to meaning and um you know, if people know that there's a barn tool release, it's it's a single cask, single pot still release from Cologne. Um, okay, it just it's the narrative or story that you're sharing with the, the consumer who's interested in it. Um, you know, give them a bit of an understanding of uh, the product that's that's coming out. Uh, lastly, and I suppose I just want to wrap up. I don't want to take any more of your time, but oh, given yeah. that, given that. You're the co-founder, and it's very much your baby. You know, how much more meaningful is the experience that it's that that it's your innovate, your innovation, your creativity? You know, it, it's not that you're working for someone. And yes, by all means, you would apply yourself to, to be the best that you could be. But here, you have something that that is something that you've created um, from the ground up. How, how much more meaningful, and I guess how much more pride can you take from it? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> I definitely think there is good bit more meaning attached to it and you know um I say that effort you put in the, the longer hours you know working at weekends working evenings and it, it mightn't be like working sitting on the laptop but it's you know interacting on your phone and it could be social media type stuff where you're interacting with uh consumers or whatnot or late night emails and 
then all the traveling you do and stuff there are sacrifices that you make you know with uh, home life and all the rest but you know try and make up for it elsewhere but it's sort of you're you're more comfortable putting the max effort in i suppose um because it is sort of yeah something that you're you have ownership of you know and you really want it to make a success and you know we, we we're not kind of on our own like there's we're co-founders like there's seven of us in the same uh position and we all support each other and try and help each other out we can't take turns with the travels you know so it's not all on one person's shoulders to do that and um work together very well and coming from the same area and same kind of background and uh we're all around the same age and doing the same things in life getting married having children all this while our company these things have happened while our company has just started it's sort of uh yeah it's sort of uh it has a lot of meaning to it you know and everybody has to be bought into it and uh working with the same sort of vision or goal of uh you know we really want to make this as successful as it can be while still being fun and you know sustainable and uh everybody has, is enjoying themselves and has a, a nice lifestyle type thing so um there's a, there's a good bit of meaning attached to it and you know that infiltrates every part of your life it's it's not uh it isn't like a job that you can switch off from or you know mm-hmm. standard nine to five it's there's a good bit of um crossover into all aspects of your life and i'm sure it's the same with all the guys that get you know everybody in your family you know kind of is interested in know how how's things going how you're getting on and uh, you know all your friends and whatnot are uh everybody's supportive like and it's great you know to have that sort of people are willing to run the I song ima- i would imagine uh extended family and close friends uh, whether they realize it or not are probably in in some way are brand ambassadors um because yeah. i'm sure they tell everybody uh who they meet that you know that you know that they're associated or that their family uh are in the industry um of every of everything that you've done so far and I don't know if it's perhaps shared with your co-founders, but like, what, what's the thing you're most proud of? Um, <clears throat> I could say the drama account kind of sticks out for me because it was a real risk, you know, and um, it was kind of an idea that we had. Johnny, the designer guy I mentioned earlier, he was kind of involved in it accidentally becoming an idea in that we said to Johnny, you know, can you do a render of our... The, the two stacks original uh first cup blend could you do a render on that on a can we're thinking of maybe looking at rtds you know gas whiskey ginger lime pit thing and so he just took the label and rendered it onto a can and it said you know two stacks Irish whiskey one you know 100 ml can it's kind of like wow imagine they put straight whiskey in a can that'd be a bit crazy like and then like oh what if they then sort of Donald, I think it was the first one to say, he's like, oh, drama a can, that'd be a cool name. And it's kind of like, oh, that that does have legs here. We, we have to do this here. And I said that this idea was floating around just as COVID hit. And um, it was kind of like, oh, with all these beer kegs to destroy, with like, what's going to happen with COVID and all? And we kind of just said, so let's just give it a go type thing. So um, the bounce back loan was around at the time. So you could get 50k of a bounce back loan so that's what we did we took the 50k went and bought uh 125 000 cans was the minimum order to get them printed and whatnot 
and it was in a 100 mil size so nobody in europe the smallest size of can is basically 150 mil so it didn't really exist so we sourced these cans from asia and we imported them and because there's 125,000 and we needed 12 and a half thousand liters of whiskey so we went and bought that which was our first batch of whiskey was like a thousand liters so we're going like 12 and a half times bigger and then ship it over to the us um so it was kind of just the big risk of using that uh what was happening at the time of covid and uh just turn it into a success then that those that it was a big punt at the time you know to do 125,000 cans but you know two years later we've done you know 10 times that it's sort of it's to me it's a quite a rewarding uh aspect of what we've done you know and um so quite we're quite proud of the drama and can just pushing on with something that hadn't been been done before and turn it into uh something cool but also uh, successful because that that's led us to be noticed um in various markets you know it's sort of uh it's helped with our bottle whiskey sales um and just yeah people around the world getting to know who we are so i'd say yeah the drama in a can is probably one of the, be the better things we've done yeah uh, i think it's great man and it, the fact that you're three local lads uh you have your facility in uri you know i'm from uri myself and I guess the, the running narrative throughout this 20 episodes of, of the podcast is 20 people from Uri effectively and mm -hmm. it's telling it's telling their story. You know, very often they're they're faced with obstacles or things that perhaps would deter most people, but they've decided to push through regardless of the risk because it's something they're very passionate about. And I think that's clear to be seen for you and, and, and the other two guys. Mm -hmm. Um I, I wanted to understand and this is just for a bit of fun, but has anybody been bold enough perhaps at Christmas or for birthdays to, to, to buy you a bottle of whiskey? Um, because I would imagine that is a risky enough feat in itself because, mm. I mean, if, so, if somebody knows it, it's probably you, whether it's crap, crap or not, you know? Yeah, no, well, yeah, they <clears throat> yeah, do get bought whiskey at that time. And no, generally, like, uh, I like, um, like anything, but as you mentioned, Red Breast Band earlier, that was one of, my first favorites and still would be so um for wedding presents and uh, a few christmases i've got a few bottles of red breast and never disappointed with that you know it's uh, <laughs> it's good so but um yeah uh and i i like to sometimes you know gift people a, a whiskey as well and um generally they're not disappointed with any of the two stacks or clones that the they might get gifted like so that's good you can't go too far wrong. Um, just as it relates to the future, um, what can we expect? Well, I think for us, you know, um, like we want to kind of grow, continue to grow sustainably. Like, I guess it has been successful. Like in our, in our first year with two stacks, we, we turned over a million pound and then the second year was 1.5. This year we should do three. And then we, we've sat down recently and said, you know, where do we want to go? And we're kind of targeting 15 million within the next three to five years. So I know you don't want to just go off uh, like a, a target number. There's a whole lot of stuff goes behind that, but, you know, kind of continue to grow the business. And that means that we want to get a new bottling line, which is fully automated because we do everything semi-automated or quite manually at the moment. Um, could be a second cannon line. Um, 
maybe increase the facility in terms of uh, extending the warehouse and, and stuff like that and be able to, to you know, produce more because we have a lot of dry goods to store, but we've also a lot of whiskey and casks. So just keep reinventing it or reinvesting in the future of it by sourcing good whiskeys, creating new whiskeys from, you know, scratch, that, that sort of going to distilleries and uh, having our own individual recipes made. Um, and just, yeah, kind of support our partners that we have at the moment. You know, 35 markets is a lot. So um, we don't we don't necessarily want to have 70 very quickly, but we want the 35 that we have to you know, double or triple and grow sustainably and have good relationships with our partners and there's great friendships being uh, developed with them and stuff. So, how important, just out of interest, when you're a, a, a new brand or a, a new business, like how important is it to demonstrate restraint at times when you're trying to grow? Yeah, it is. It is quite important. Like you can easily lose the run of yourself a wee bit by thinking like, "Oh, look, we're doing great here. Let's." Uh, let's go spend a lot of money on marketing or let's go and do this type of thing. You can, you can be very wasteful uh, with, because you still have a small amount of resource really. So for us, we have to be quite disciplined and especially with any vanity type marketing projects or anything like that. Um, you know, it's sort of sense check things. You have to invest and in, invest in, in, in brand development and marketing, but being smart about it, you know, and, um, for me being the accountant, you know, it's said as looking at things in detail, like, you know, does this actually make sense? Um, you have to be very careful on margins with the product. You know, what we're selling is actually making enough margin and so forth. But if we're spending on marketing, are we going to get a return out of it? Is, does it make sense? You know, I'm picking one or two things to go after. I mentioned global travel retail being one of those. It is a marketing activity in that because you don't actually make any money out of being in airports because the airports take a huge margin and then you have to spend a lot of money on branding and marketing and promoting things and you know that whole thing where it's like is it worth it well yeah to get into different locations around the world and that's like a shop window to your brand that particular thing's worth it but because we're investing in that we're not going to go and invest in all these uh, other things, you know, uh, so I, I think being sort of cautious of your spend and um, putting it into the right areas, you know, while not, you can't not spend or not uh, promote yourselves or, you know, um, invest in things, but it's taking a step by step, like say with things like expansion, you know, we, we would have loved to have bought the new Botman 9 six months ago and this last six months, we would have been producing a lot faster, but you kind of have to go through the pain point of, you no, know, we have to semi, you know, fake it till you make it. Like we have to put the, the hard work in, do all the bottling by hand ourselves until we're actually in a comfortable spot where, okay, now we can afford to maybe get that bottling line. But say looking for support too, like looking for any grant you can get or any sort of help. So investing in is quite important with, uh, grants and things they got in Intertrade Ireland. So when we're looking at hiring a new employee or investing, you're kind of uh, looking to see what support can we get there. Um, we're lucky that we don't have 
a lot of finance in the company. Imagine the bounce back loan, that 50k we got two and a half years ago. That's like the only finance we've ever had, and um, it's like we've it's over five years, so we've less than 20k or something to pay back. But it's sort of uh, you know at this point we're on the the fringe of should we start taking on finance to grow. Um, but we've been fortunate that we just have been uh, quite quite good with our cash flow and quite good with our spending that it's just all sort of uh, reinvestment of profit that's got us this far so um that cautious approach and don't try and run too fast it's yeah. sort of sensible approach kind of helps too you know um so yeah, i think i mean i've no background in business but um i've come to i've come to appreciate the word measured just it, 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 with respect to anything in life if you take a measured approach you know, there's that, that need to balance risk versus reward. Uh, but again, like you said, there is a need to spend uh, in order to grow. I mean, mm-hmm. very often I'm reminded of Del Boy from uh, Only Fools and Horses, you know, he who dares wins. Um, I think you have I think you have to live by that mantra in order to, 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 to grow and be successful. Um, that's, that's all I, I wanted to know, Liam. You've been a gentleman. Um, Again, like I've always had an appreciation of whiskey because I, I think it it is storied. I, I understand that Nuri did have a whiskey industry. I mean, yeah. I, I know the name Matt Darcy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bought my father, uh, not the lower end, but a more expensive bottle as a gift for Christmas. Um, and, you know, I think it's wonderful that you guys have brought it, that industry back to Nuri. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's great, it's great to see Nuri thrive. Um, yeah, like for us, Nuri is a brilliant place for us to be located and do business. You know, the, you had COVID, but you also had Brexit. And, you know, kind of uh, people are always going, oh, is, is Brexit not a nightmare for you? And it's like, no, it's not actually. It's, it's an advantage to us because if we're, we're located, we've dual access to European market and UK market and stuff like that. And uh, for us, like, we looked at Dundalk or even down as far as Drogheda to base ourselves. And, um, cost of doing business over the borders it's far more than here in northern ireland and it's uh yeah it's a great place to be located in your so we're delighted you know that uh this is where we're based and this is kind of where we'll stay and uh for the likes of brandon and shane you know living overseas australia and, and london new york all that they're delighted to be able to live at home and live in the new area and you know the more mountains on our doorstep and it's just a fantastic place so one of the things we love doing is bringing people here you know it's better than traveling all the time overseas you know bring people here and show them the local area and you know how beautiful it is and you know the vibrancy of the food and drink culture here and all the rest so it's uh yeah it's, it's class yeah it, it, it is remarkable and it's it's great to see uh, young lads like yourselves with a vision um and doing it locally i think it's wonderful um yeah well, that's that's it, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, I no wish worries. you every every success. Um, and I know for some people, uh, kind of the middle of November is a little early to to talk about Christmas. But uh, I wish you and yours a, a happy Christmas, and uh, it's been a pleasure.